Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box. Bitch-ass white boy, Tyler Bischoff. It was reported that the Cleveland Indians have decided to remove the term Indian from their name. And Adam Candy. Yet we're cool calling the only black people in Utah the Jazz. On ESPN Las Vegas. I am back. It's good to see this place is running as smoothly as it was before I left. Ed Graney is out at Raiders training camp. So filling in as he was, what, all of last week, Adam, right? It's Adam Candy again. Adam? Uh-oh. Maybe it's not Adam Candy again. I'm going to blame Jared. I made you think you were going to have to do this one all by yourself. Oh, things are running. Ah, it would have been fun, you. actually, to make you do it all the way. Yeah, this is like the worst 24 hours of the year for me. A week-long vacation of sitting on the beach, and then I have to come back here early in the morning. It's like the worst day of the year. So, yeah, that would have been brutal if I was here no, by myself. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it would have. And, and I love referring to Jared being there as being there by yourself. Jared's uh, already offended by that. I can tell by his facial expression. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was obvious that, like, I, I don't even need to I don't even need to see that to know that. Um, so we did a show together for like two and a half years. Oh, okay. Show by myself. So there you go. Uh, Tyler, the thing that everyone out there wants to know is, um, are you physically injured? No, unfortunately, I am not. <sighs> All right. Well, Vegas, we're sorry. We tried to send him into as dangerous of situations as possible. Um, I'm sure he was smug enough to get himself hurt, but still didn't get himself hurt. Yeah, no, we can get into my genius strategy to avoid getting physically harmed while Ooh. going to a Dodgers game. It was good. It was a good strategy. But here we go. We're talking about a potential trade to the Raiders again. The first bite. Is Michael Thomas getting traded to the Raiders? So Michael Thomas yesterday tweeted out, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Uh, Michael Thomas himself hasn't actually said a whole lot more besides that, but Michael Thomas did play through an injury in the 2020 season, played seven games despite an ankle injury. Uh, there was a report in the Times-Picayune that the Saints wanted him to have surgery after the season ended. Thomas waited, ended up waiting, and had to get it three months later. And now Michael Thomas is going to miss the start of the season. Uh, there was also the suggestion yesterday that the Saints might have forced Michael Thomas to play through that ankle injury last season. Uh, what do you make of Michael Thomas and the ankle injury and the chances he's actually unhappy and ends up getting traded away from the saints. The thing with Michael Thomas is he's the reason that I quit Facebook. Um, I, I, I cannot stand the vague booking. I really cannot. And this is just some classic <laughs> vague booking stuff from, from, from Michael Thomas. You got something to say, just say it, but wait, you're just on, say hold it. on before we keep going on Michael Thomas. You quit Facebook because people are too vague and, and take shots without actually naming people, but you're still on Twitter. I'm on Twitter because I am required to be on Twitter by work. <laughs> like no, nothing in my job requires me to be on Facebook. Um, and and Michael Thomas gave us. By the way, even with the font, it seemed like that was a yes. classic uh, Facebook meme by Michael Thomas. The, look, I, this this situation has been bad for almost two full years now uh, for Michael Thomas with the Saints. Even while 
over the course of multiple restructures of his contract, he's essentially gotten about $40 million uh, from the Saints. Outside of last season, this guy's been elite. Um, he has been absolutely outstanding from the day he walked onto the field uh, five years ago. And he is as big a difference maker as you could have. He is in that class of the DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, the guys who, when they move to another franchise, they impact the fortunes of that franchise. And when it comes to the Saints in particular, I'm not even sure they can fully take advantage of his talents if they're going to go out there and do something stupid like start Taysom Hill. <laughs> I think Michael Thomas is just afraid Taysom Hill is going to be a starting quarterback. It's it's not the ankle. It has nothing to do with the injury or anything that's happened before. It's just he's looking around saying, oh, my God. When I come back, Taysom Hill is going to be the starting quarterback of this team, and I'm going to be expected to go out there and have a normal production with Taysom Hill trying to throw me the ball. I think that's what he's afraid of. It's just he's terrified of Taysom Hill being his quarterback. After last year, when he got to see what the rotting shoulder of Drew Brees looks like, I'm sure <laughs> he probably feels much the same way uh, about having to have Taysom Hill out there. If they're not going to do the wise thing and put Jameis Winston at quarterback. But look, if, if Michael Thomas is truly available, it's a game changer for a lot of franchises. The, the problem is, uh, Tyler, the cap hit would be so ridiculous to the Saints that I'm not sure they can afford to do it. Yeah, to me, there, there's two reasons why I would find it hard to believe Michael Thomas does get traded. Number one, Bill Barnwell tweeted out the Saints would have to eat $32.6 million in dead money to trade Michael Thomas. Now, there's $8.9 million this year, but next year it would be $22.7 million that Michael Thomas would count against the Saints' salary cap if they traded him. That is brutal. Like, you as an organization, you, like, cannot take on $22 million in dead money on a single player. And then on top of that, if we just look at the context of this offseason, if Aaron Rodgers couldn't force his way out of Green Bay now, like he got this like verbal agreement that at the end of this season, the Packers are going to look into trading him if he's still unhappy. Like if that's the best Aaron Rodgers could get, I just can't imagine Michael Thomas is going to be able to force his way out. And then if you look at the organization, they have very little motivation based on the dead cap hit there. I, I just I can't see it happening. I cannot see Michael Thomas actually getting traded based on those two things. It's a $182.5 million salary cap in the NFL this year. The Saints already have $33.7 million of dead money on the cap. If you add in what you just said, they would vault to the top of the list right now of teams with the most dead money on their cap, it would be close to $65 million, $65, $66 million. They would have a third of their cap as dead money paying to players who are no longer there anymore. They're already top five in the league. And this was the cost of trying to run it back one more time with Drew Brees. They knew what they were doing last year. This team was at one point Many, many million dollars over the cap. I, I thought I had the number in front of me. I don't. It's, it was close to $50 million over the cap at one point uh, for the New Orleans Saints. So they don't have the ability to just take on this, uh, this dead cap hit. And by the way, weaken a team that needs all the help it can get with the quarterback situation it has. So that potential dead cap hit? would be more than the total payrolls of the Miami Marlins, Baltimore Orioles, Pittsburgh Pirates, and Cleveland Indians. Uh, little difference in a sport with guaranteed <laughs> contracts on every uh, player, but yeah, I know where you're going there. <laughs>
I just love the idea of having more money to players that you are not actually getting any production from that you traded away than other teams and other sports and probably more than like the Seattle Kraken have right now too. I have to look up what the Kraken are doing there. So neither one of us thinks he's actually getting traded, but let's humor this for a second. If he were to actually be traded, CBSSports.com ranks some teams. The Raiders got an honorable mention because if a guy is getting traded that anybody can name in the world of football, the Raiders have to be mentioned at some point, but only an honorable mention. They had a top seven and the Raiders were not in the top seven. The number one team on that list was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Would it make any sense for the Jaguars to trade for Michael Thomas, given they, they granted, they don't have a Michael Thomas, but they actually have pretty good wide receivers. You got to get Minshew some weapons. <laughs> you do need to, uh, do need to give Gardner a number one because he doesn't know anything about a number two. So uh, the Jaguars <laughs> have the most cap space available in the entire league, $30 million uh, here at the moment. So they are the ones who could most naturally fit Michael Thomas in. Uh, yeah, they went out and got Marvin Jones uh, in the offseason. They're hoping LaVisca Chenault turns into a number two. But the thing is, if you put Michael Thomas into that offense, everybody slots in exactly where they should be. Marvin Jones becomes your number two receiver. Uh, LaVisca Chenault can be a number three. They have some injury concerns around DJ Shark uh, right now. So, yeah, I mean, that that would be perfect. As for the Raiders, uh, Tyler, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who won the Super Bowl, of course, have $463,000 of open cap space. The New York Giants, who did not win the Super Bowl any time recently, uh, have $2.5 million of cap space. You know who's next? The Raiders with $2.9 million of open cap space. It ain't happening. Plus, they have Brian Edwards, who in this last week while I was on vacation, apparently became the Raiders' best wide receiver. Uh, I do need to point something out. One of the finest tweets that I've seen in quite a long time from uh, occasional guest here, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, who said that he drafted Brian Edwards in best ball league, and it was like getting three different guys. <laughs> really, really quality work there from uh, from Eric Eager, as we've had comparisons to... Terrell Owens and Randy Moss on a receiver who, um, you know, has done nothing in the NFL. Did, did we, we did this last year with Brian Edwards too, didn't we? Yes. The reason we do this with Brian Edwards is because he looks the part, right? He absolutely looks the part. The problem is the guy can't stay healthy. There's a reason that he was drafted in the third round. He was snatching balls in the end zone, and everyone was like, whoa, this guy's going to be great. Yeah, and I, then he you know, fell down after catching him. Yeah, the conversation around Brian Edwards was he was going to be a goal line target, that he was going to fix their red zone issues. Guess what? The Raiders are still trying to fix their red zone issues. And I think he had one catch in the red zone last year. Like they didn't, even, it wasn't even like, oh yeah, let's put him in situationally because he's a big body that can help us in the red zone. Like they, they just didn't use him last year. And I, I guess you could use him this year, but they, they brought in more wide receivers than they lost. Like they lost Nelson Aguilar, who was their best receiver last year, but they brought in John Brown and Willie Sneed to replace him. I just, again, we did it last year. It's, it happened again this last week where Brian Edwards, everybody's excited. I just have a hard time believing it's going to be significantly different from last year for Brian Edwards. Well, he, the thing is, Tyler, we talk about number one receivers, number two receivers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you look at the Raiders at the moment, there clearly is no number one receiver. But I think the really concerning thing for me about the Raiders is there's no number two receiver either. There's no guy who you took, if you took him and put him onto another roster, would clearly be the number two receiver. I mean, you've got a bunch of complimentary guys in, as you just mentioned, 
Brown and Sneed and uh, everybody's favorite third and Renfro. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's all on Darren Waller to make these receivers better. Yeah, Darren Waller's the key, but also I, I think if you look at the Raiders receiving group, they're desperately begging for somebody like a Henry Ruggs to actually be a number one. Because like you were saying with Michael Thomas, and if you went to the Jaguars, it helps you slot in LaVisca Chanel. It helps you slot in Marvin Jones into sort of the, the role and the production that they should be. If the Raiders had a true number one, if John Brown, Willie Sneed, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro were sort of your second, your two through five receivers, that's a really good receiving core along with Darren Waller out there. But when you don't have that number one, when we're really questioning how good Henry Ruggs is going to be, or if John Brown can do what Nelson Aguilar does, it makes that a really hard conversation where you're like, okay, they have a bunch of number three type receivers on the roster, which uh, I guess can work at times, but probably won't work over the course of a season. Well, no, I mean, the Raiders drafted Henry Ruggs as the first receiver taken in a draft where Justin Jefferson already looks like a top five receiver <laughs> in the NFL, having gone, what, eight picks later uh, than Henry Ruggs. So this is something where you spend that kind of draft capital. The guy has to perform at that level. And Tyler, I know that the depth chart the Raiders released uh, yesterday is highly, highly, highly unofficial. <laughs> so I wouldn't read that much into it. But that being said, uh, their last two first-round picks on defense, their top two last first-round picks on defense, are both listed on the second team in Cleveland Furl and Damon Arnett. And Jonathan Abram is in a starting spot by default right now at safety. So this team is not getting the production that it needs to get out of the players that it has drafted in the spots to make them better. So if they got if they don't get it out of Henry Ruggs, then none of these receivers are going to perform up to the level that they're hoping they are. All right, uh, Guns N' Roses is coming to Allegiant Stadium, and ESPN Las Vegas will be giving out tickets to see Guns N' Roses Friday, August 27th. Between us and Cofield and Company, we're going to get you a chance to win tickets to go see Guns N' Roses. You can buy them right now at Ticketmaster.com. Yeah, you know what I was wondering? Um, I was wondering when you were going to propose to Brandy. Oh, my God. <laughs> What is happening? Here? I don't think you've, uh, her name has ever actually been Probably used not. on the yeah. air. It's only yeah. ever been your. Okay, I'm sorry. So. Yeah, that's okay. I figured if you were mentioning my husband, then maybe Brandy that's, was fair no, game. That's fair. That's a good sound, Jared. So any I, news? I no, no news. Um, you were on a beach and you didn't propose. Wow. I I do have a question. So Desiree Francois constantly pestering me about when I was going to propose to my girlfriend of almost ten years. Now that she's leaving for Missouri. Oh, and by the way, I told her that I would tell her that she would be the first person I would tell after I proposed. Do I still have to hold up that end of the bargain now that she's going to Missouri? I kind of hope you like, I hope that, uh, Miss uh, Francois, there's a uh, person from Las Vegas parked on your line. Uh, he's bitten on hold for over two hours. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Who is this? Uh, it's Tyler. Just wanted to let you know, uh, I finally proposed. Thanks. Uh, Brandy seems pissed that I've been on hold for this long. Yeah, she waited 10 years. She could wait two more years on hold. It'll be fine. Um, but I'm back from vacation. Here's my, I, I went to an Astros Dodger game as an Astro fan and I survived without incident. Uh, I went to the second game, the one the Dodgers won. I did not go to the first game, the one the Astros shut out the Dodgers, which is the worst part of planning in my entire life. Uh, but Adam, 
let me know if I was like, was was I too much of like a chicken here in the way that I approached this? Because after seeing the first game where there were multiple fights in the stands, my strategy for the second game was that I showed up wearing, I wore an Astros shirt, but it was a blue Astros <laughs> shirt, not a bright orange one. And it didn't actually say like Houston or Astros on it. It was a Kyle Tucker specific shirt. So I would venture to guess most people at Dodger Stadium don't know who Kyle Tucker is. He's the Astros right fielder who's in like his second full season of Major League Baseball. So I'm willing to guess most of them did not actually recognize what Kyle Tucker meant on my shirt. Was I smart or did I sort of chicken out of going to Dodger Stadium as an Astro fan? Did the front of the shirt say Astros on it? No, no, it did not say Astros anywhere. So how is it a Kyle Tucker shirt if it didn't have Astros anything on it anywhere? It had, it had Kyle Tucker on the shirt. Like it's okay. it's a it's like an MLB Players Association shirt. Okay. Uh, what you did was smart because we speculated after the first game, not knowing whether you were at that game or whether you were at the game you ultimately went to, we speculated after the first game that you would not have been able to resist going in full <laughs> Astros garb, wearing an Altuve shirt, and trying to goad a fight that you would not actually engage, right? Like that you would be someone who would get the Dodgers fans all riled up and then find the nearest security guard to say, whoa, 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 I wasn't looking for all this. <laughs> See, that, I, that's absolutely something I would have wanted to do. The problem is, is that it, it, I was so outnumbered. Like, it was unbelievable how outnumbered I was. Unless there were plenty of people in the stands doing exactly what I was doing and wearing a nondescript Astro shirt. Like, there were legitimately less than 10 orange shirts at Dodger Stadium on Wednesday. And every single time one of them got up and walked through the crowd, they got booed by that section of the crowd. So, like, I was so outnumbered that there was no chance I was actually starting anything that I had any chance of losing. Like, that's one of the keys of what I do. I don't take, like, a bad bet of, oh, I'm absolutely going to lose that. Right. Yeah, no. You, and when you say you don't take a bad bet, it's like we discussed last week while you were gone. You start fights with people who can't actually reach you. Uh, so that's the whole idea behind Tyler Bischoff on Twitter, Tyler Bischoff on the radio. Tyler Bischoff in person is going to wear a, a Players Association Kyle <laughs> Tucker shirt. Tyler Bischoff on Twitter is going to wear not only Jose Altuve's jersey, but he's going to get the actual buzzer he wore in the ALDCS uh, and, and put it on just to troll everyone. So the other part that we factored in, and uh, tell us whether this became part of your consideration, um, we thought you were not going to put your girlfriend at serious risk. Oh, she did not go. Um, she did not go. No, game. which is maybe part of the other reason. Because I ended, I went with my dad, my girlfriend's dad, and my girlfriend's younger brother. Wait a minute. You had three people to back you up, and you still went this way? I don't know that they would have backed me up. Wow, really? Well, you, your own father. Your own father would not I, have backed you my up. My father would have, but I'm not putting him in a fight against anybody and expecting a win. Yeah, you're okay. talking about what, what? the the person who created Tyler Bischoff here. I'm not I'm not expecting a lot of like physical skills. Well, no, 
No, no one person created Tyler Bischoff. There is a set of life experiences that has come together in a witch's brew that no one could possibly replicate. But what about your 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 girlfriend's your girlfriend's father, your girlfriend's brother? I, I mean, are they just the ones who are going to like wait till you're at the bottom of the pile, getting pummeled by Dodgers fans, and say, "Propose, and we'll let you up." Uh, Girlfriend's younger brother is a Dodgers fan, and of the four of us, I would put myself as the favorite to win a fight between any of the four of us. So, oh, not God. yeah, not we're we're not going into this with like actual henchmen behind me. No, I mean, I'm trying to imagine what fight you would be a favorite to win, and that's coming from me, who is basically your physical <laughs> doppelganger. <laughs> It would be just against the three people I went to the game with. Everybody yeah, right. else exactly. around me would be. Yeah. yeah, yes, it's exactly what it would have been. Um, but yeah, I it was it, even though the Astros lost, it was still fun. Um, well, wait a second. So that's that's that part of the experience. We weren't sure you were going to get there, though. We weren't sure you were escaping Allegiant Stadium as a U.S. soccer fan prior to going down there. Uh, were you in any sort of physical danger while you were? cheering on the u.s as one of what 10 percent u.s fans in that building that's being generous uh mexican soccer fans significantly nicer than dodger fans wow and not even close i mean not not even remotely close like the amount of people like mexican soccer fans that actually like said good game and like fist bumped me after it was over unbelievably high i can't imagine i can't believe i was actually a little disappointed they were that nice I wanted them to be more angry about it. Like we got, well, we got flipped off a couple of times, but yeah, it, yeah, un, unbelievably nice. But the, the, now the question is: among those people, did that include Cassie Soto and her family? I did not see Cassie Soto, the traitor. Okay, because I have a feeling they would have given you a much stronger response, <laughs> just based on the way you treat Cassie in general. Yeah, probably, which would have been fair, and and I would have enjoyed that a lot more. But no, I. Allegiant Stadium, no problem whatsoever. I do have one question for you, though, after going to a game at Allegiant Stadium and a game in Dodger Stadium. How in the hell is a game, including L.A. traffic, easier to get out of than it is at Allegiant Stadium? Yeah. Uh, what? I, what? I'm, I'm concerned about this. What? I am greatly concerned. Th- this, this stadium is a nightmare leaving. Like, the amount of people that I've seen just on Twitter saying they couldn't get to like they paid for parking and couldn't get to it at Allegiant Stadium is absurd. And then just leaving. Well, I mean, we had somebody pick us up like three blocks away thinking, oh, that'll like we'll walk away from the stadium and get picked up. Still line of traffic three blocks away from Allegiant Stadium after we got picked up. Like this is a disaster of a parking situation. Hmm. God, I wish uh, I wish someone had warned us about this over the last three years writing for a local publication. <laughs> I have been talking about this damn situation for a long time, and I will add to it what you just said, that my mother and a friend of hers went to the Garth Brooks concert and tried to do exactly what you did, tried to walk a long way away from the stadium to get their ride. Here was their problem. There was no cell phone service, like no signal, no coverage. Yeah. It's really hard to communicate with your driver when there's no way of getting a cell phone signal. So this is set up to be a mess. And the fact that they're still writing about it in the paper saying, oh, well, the Raiders are trying to work this out. It's August 10th. 
<laughs> do you think that's why Mark Bedane left the Raiders yes. president? Do you think he is just running directly away from what is going to be the traffic apocalypse? Yeah, because that, that's what it's going to be. It absolutely is. Like, there's no service in the stadium. Once we got out, we could get some service and make a phone call. But yeah, it, it was it was a disaster. And they're like, oh, it'll take us a year. Don't worry. We put in hydration stations and we moved where Uber and Lyft pick up. Everything will be fine. Coming up next, Ed Graney joins the show live from a parking lot. And the pitch is lined toward the gap in right center field. Base hit going all the way to the wall. One run obviously scores Gallo, and LeMayu holds at second with a double. One and two, Hosmer swings, hits this one in the air to deep right field. Forget it, way back, gonna go. Home run again for Eric Hosmer. His 10th of the season, and this game is tied at one in the second. 2-2 pitch is swung on and missed, strike three. A 1-2-3, three strikeout inning for Austin Adams to close it out. Padres take game one of the series against Miami 8-3, and they have won three consecutive games. You're locked in the press box. Joining us now is Ed Graney. Ed, where are you at right now? Are you in a, Oh, I heard a whistle. Where are you? We're indoors at the Intermountain uh, Healthcare Performance Center. We're in here for about 20 minutes before you go out in the heat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just another day. You hear, hear uh, highlights from a third-place team seven out with no chance. And, you know, you come indoors <laughs> to the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, and uh, everything's normal here. Welcome back. Welcome back. Listen, um, embarrassing for you. That, that dog of yours, what a disaster. Like, couldn't hear it. Couldn't take care of our interviews yesterday. He's, like, messing everything up. I mean, thank God 1100 was down yesterday. I shouldn't say that, but at least half the people didn't have to hear your dog. Oh, when you guys talked to Mike? Uh-huh. How Ru- yeah. What, Ruby was very loud? Oh, never stopped that dog. Oh, we told him, the best. We told him, put him in the closet. Cassie does. It's not a problem. Just shove him in the closet. Maybe Champ's in there, and he can have a friend. Ed, you, you've heard my dogs fight live on the air. Yeah, but you got that done quickly. You must have broken the fight up quick. This was incessant. For half the interview, I had to listen to that dog bark. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did Mike have nice things to say about my dogs? Uh, no, he said they're very – that's the thing. The dog must have heard him and was playing tricks. Cause he's going on about how great the dogs are. Five minutes of the interview, in the last five minutes, we had to hear the things barking. So obviously, he was screwing around with Mike because he heard how good he was, and then he just went nuts. He described your dogs as you put eye drops in them, and then they go back to sleep. Oh. Yes, yes. Grimal is obviously over and there then, like, giving him some kind of like uh, medicine to put him to sleep, like NyQuil or something, because he said once he puts the eye drops in, they like fall asleep. No, okay, so Ruby is the Shih Tzu who barks at everything that moves. Oh. Uh, Squash is the French Bulldog that requires eye drops, and he, I mean, he's a nine-year-old French Bulldog. He sleeps about 18 hours of the day. No, <laughs> I have a Shih Tzu. This, this was your Shih Tzu. This was not the Bulldog. It's just a Shih Tzu yeah. causing havoc, and like I said... 50-50 champs in the closet. Shove it in the closet. Maybe he makes it. Maybe champs over there as well. But Cassie probably gave champ the Gramali. He's not even babysitting champs. He, he probably just lives there now. Oh, all right. Well, Ed Graney, I'm back. I Oh, by the way, I have a present for you. I'm not going to tell you what oh. it is, but I have a present for you when you get back that I think you're going to really enjoy. It has to be from the night the Dodgers uh, whooped your Astros when you're in attendance, I hope. Whooped your Astros. That, that was a good one. <laughs> I didn't even try on that one. I was just like, you're throwing out work. Listen, oh, Ed, you you will enjoy this because I saw an entire stadium full of Ed Grainies. Dodgers oh. up up uh, seven to three in the ninth inning. Uh, Kenley Jansen lets the first runner get on, and then yeah. Kyle Tucker hits a two run home run to make it seven to five. The yeah. entire stadium 
throw, punching oh. the air, yelling, get him out of the game. He's going to blow. Yeah. He, then, yeah. he then struck out the next three to finish the game yeah. off, but an entire stadium full of Ed Grady's. I actually was thinking of you as I was standing up in the house, punching <laughs> the air, screaming to get him the hell out of the game. Because the last thing I wanted to do was have you in attendance with some kind of epic comeback. Oh. So I was, I was doing the same thing out there in Summerlin, Nevada. See, the, the most disappointing part of that game, it wasn't necessarily that the Astros lost. It was that after that home run, the Astros had seven, eight, and nine up. And if one of them had gotten on base... Jose Altuve would have been up as the tying run while everyone in that stadium, it would have been 50-50 at that point. It would have been half of them yelling F Altuve and half of them yelling F Kenley yeah. Jansen. Yeah. Thank God that didn't happen. You So you didn't go the night before because I was an Astros. No, night. terrible planning on my part. I missed yeah. the, the shutout of the Dodgers, yeah. which would have yeah. been, well, listen, if I was going to get beat up at a game at Dodger Stadium, it would have been the one where the Astros won because I might not have been able to help myself. You were fine that night unless Jansen would have given up two more bombs or something. Oh, but here's, here's guys, here's the thing. Uh, Ed, he didn't even wear an Astros shirt to the game. He, oh. he cowered out of the thing. He showed up with three other guys with him, didn't even bring the girlfriend, and wore what he says was a Major League Baseball Players Association Kyle Tucker shirt. Like he wanted the minimum amount of credit for not having gone totally incognito. We can't, we can't give him uh, any kind of credit, though, because remember we were talking last week, you know, Jared gave him 50-50 on being alive at that point because we just assumed that he had walked in with the Astros. And that surprises me. That kid's got a lot of jerseys he likes to his team. That really, it disappoints me, actually. I thought for sure he'd have the Astros hat and jersey on. That, we, we totally missed the Adam, we missed the boat on that one. We just assumed he was doing that. Listen, I had my bright orange ready to go, and then I saw about four videos of Astros fans getting in fights, <laughs> including one where a guy's getting led away by security, and a Dodger fan just stepped into the aisle and headbutted him. And I was like, all right, I'm not doing that. We're, we're a classy bunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, Ed, the, the surpriser of the week for me was that Mexican soccer fans were nicer and more well-behaved than Dodger fans. Yeah, I, that, I guess that's an upset in some senses, but Dodger fans are completely lunatics. I mean, there have been things that happened at that stadium which were completely wrong, so I don't go to the stadium much. I try to go once or twice a year, but, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go with you on that. They're completely out of their minds on most part. All right, let me ask you this as far as Allegiant Stadium goes. You were at the Garth Brooks concert. You're now going to be, I assume you're covering, the first preseason game there this weekend. How bad of a mess do you think parking is going to be for a preseason NFL game? Man, that's a good question for parking. Um, they, the media, I didn't have to do my treadmill run because the walk was so long for the media lot. I got like six <laughs> workouts in that day. I don't know. We're, we're behind some hotel somewhere. So I think for a pre, well, for a preseason game though, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be, it's going to be crowded. It's going to be hard. I mean, there were, there were a lot, you know, what what they think, 14,000 the other day. So it wasn't really bad the other day when you walked into the parking lot to the media entrance. I mean, there were some cars, there were police presence, but it wasn't that bad because there were only 14,000 people. But I think on Saturday night, I think it's going to be really full. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who want to go to a game there and haven't been able to go. So I think parking at any point when everyone's there and it's full, I think it's going to be cramped. But like I said, uh, we don't have a problem with that because uh, we're in Henderson and we can just take the walk down to the uh, the entrance. <laughs> We're fine. You know, you know, you you know, you're not fine when you get up and rustle. Instead of taking a right, they make you take a left. At that point, Yikes. you're completely out of the realm. Uh, Ed, uh, 
in Henderson, uh, there, there, there's no Darren Waller on the field. It, it, it was eight no. days ago that Darren Waller last practiced, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. Uh, are, are we still thinking that this is just maintenance mode for Darren Waller and everything will be fine? I mean, I think so, but like you and I talked, and we talked with Case, like every day, I guess the skepticism becomes five more percent. Um he was, you know, again, he was at that practice. He was introduced. They were introduced to deep. He had a, you know, he had a jersey on, a sweatshirt underneath it. He ran out of the tunnel. I don't know if that means anything. He, he lifts when we're here. He's in the weight room lifting because we can stand by the weight room. So, I mean, doing all that stuff, I'm going to shade on the, uh, on the side that it is, it is like just maintenance or something very little wrong with him. If we never saw him lifting or we didn't see him the other day, then I'd be like, oh, there's something going on with him. So I'll, until proven otherwise, like the one question I was doing, well, <laughs> thrust into the Desiree Reed Francois story. I didn't get to watch most of practice, but had I been in the room with Gruden, I think I would have asked if you played the Ravens tonight, would he have played? Like, and Gruden probably wouldn't have answered it, but I think that should have been asked. Like, if, if you had a game today, like a real game, would he have been on the field? And I think the answer would be yes. So we'll see. He's not. I mean, I'm looking at they're doing drills right now, and like you said, he's. He's looks. I can't. I can't find him right now. But he's not in. He's not in the pack something. So I assume it's the same thing, and they're being careful with him. How disappointed are you going to be if Darren Waller actually does miss time and Jason Witten missed time this come this Raiders oh. stint by a year? I don't know if you were on vacation or not. I think you. No, you were. the The best press conference so far at this place has been Foster Moreau. Not only because Foster Moreau by far the best talker, he and Mariota and Incognito. But I'm putting Foster Moreau maybe one right now. Anyone who can force any Bonsignori and another reporter to do rock, paper, scissors to determine who gets the next question, I, I like a lot. But Foster Moreau went on like a two- to three-minute um, love fest of Jason Witten, and oh, I had boy. the biggest smile on my face oh, because boy. he confirmed everything oh, I always thought about Big Wit. And if you listen to Foster Moreau that day, Big Wit was a great signing, and they probably miss him in some form or fashion. Foster Moreau's a liar. They t- he, took no. all, he took all his snaps. <laughs> Foster Moreau didn't get any snaps last year because of Jason Witten. The leadership Big Wit had Foster said and how he taught Foster so much about the profession. As as Foster said, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, you should have seen Foster. He was talking about Witten. Now you could be right, and it could be the fact that, like, yeah, this guy's gone. Let me, like, pump him up because it doesn't matter anymore. But I take Foster Moreau as a genuine guy, and I, I'm going to take that as a genuine evaluation that he had of Jason Witten. Uh, I do have an important question before we let you go, uh, as there's a really loud horn, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, it's not your dog, so go ahead. So Desiree Reed Francois, she pestered me often about when I was going to get engaged to my girlfriend of 10 years. Um, I told her that when I did get engaged, I would tell her that she would be the first person I told. Now that she's going to Missouri, do I still have to hold up that end of the bargain? Absolutely not. You don't have to hold that end of the bargain. I don't think you're going to uphold it anyway. I don't trust anything you say, but no, there's no way you have to. No, no. You know who you should tell? The guy who seems to break every UNLV story in America, Pete Thamel. Why don't you tell that guy? Tell him. It appears he knows everything about UNLV and Desiree Reed Francois because every time there's a major story, Pete Thamel breaks it. So you should now make Pete Thamel your Desiree, and when you get engaged, call Pete. He can put it out onto Twitter with a source. Oh, he'll break it for me. That's a good idea. Well, yeah. He's Ed Graney. Enjoy your indoor practice for the next few minutes before you have to go outside into the heat. Thanks, Ed. I got to tell Adam something real quick. You ready, Adam? Do it. This is not Drake. I'll see you guys tomorrow. (laughs) 
Ed Graney auditioning for DJ jobs elsewhere in Lotus Broadcasting with his music knowledge. So genuinely, yesterday we had someone on, and uh, the who who was it? Was it Case? It Kiefer? was Case Kiefer. Okay, it was Case Kiefer. We had Case Kiefer on, and uh, he goes, "Come on, Ed, you didn't know that it was Guns and Roses." And he's like, well, we gave away tickets to the Rolling Stones. Within three seconds, he turned Guns N' Roses into ACDC. <laughs> like, he just goes, I didn't know it was ACDC. Apparently, ACDC is playing. And we're like, they, they aren't. They weren't. None of the information you have said thus far has been correct. Yeah, they're all the same, aren't they? Coming up next, UNLV football. They got their games moved. Is it simply because the Raiders have home games, too? No, that's great. It's free advertising, baby. <laughs> I love it. People are going to be talking about that. You know that they're at least I hope I hope I'm not like jinxing it or something like that. But, um, it, it, you know, sometimes when the cannon, when the camera pans to the offensive coordinator, um, they're going to be like, oh, and this is Marcus Arroyo. He is the new coach at UNLV football. That was Desiree Reed Francois talking about Marcus Arroyo coaching in the Rose Bowl before coming to UNLV after he had been hired by UNLV. The unofficial counts on UNLV mentions during that Rose Bowl was zero. Um, make sure you guys are listening later in the show. We're going to have a pair of tickets to give away to Sebastian Maniscalco as he is coming to Las Vegas to Encore Theater at the Win uh, a little bit later this month. We'll have a pair of tickets to give away to go see Sebastian Maniscalco. Uh, but we had a schedule change for UNLV football. Uh, they had two games moved to a Thursday, two home games moved to a Thursday. They will now play San Jose State at 8 p.m. on a Thursday on CBS Sports Network and San Diego State at 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday on CBS Sports Network. What I thought was interesting is that UNLV in their press release, their uh, headline was that two games were moved to prime time on CBS Sports Network, but both games were already scheduled for prime time on CBS Sports Network. The original schedule for UNLV had both of these games kicking off on a Saturday at 7.30 p.m. being televised by CBS Sports Network. They've ultimately been moved up two days and ultimately have a later kickoff, which is one of the biggest complaints of every coach in the Mountain West is they're having to kick off way too late. Both of these games are also the same weekend as a home game for the Raiders. Is this simply the Raiders forcing UNLV to play their games on Thursdays and not the Saturday before a Raider home game? Tyler, if you go back into the original documents where the Raiders and UNLV were negotiating about how they were going to share the stadium, there was very clear language about how much change over time was needed from a UNLV game to a Raiders game, in part because you have to switch out the field, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it was a minimum of 12 hours that would be needed to do this. So if you take what would be a primetime game on a Saturday and get the stadium cleared, you'd be working on a pretty tight timeline to get Elysian Stadium flipped over from a UNLV game to a Raiders game. So you, you have to think it was at least part of the consideration, considering that these games were games that would have bumped up by the fact that they were late night starts. So there are three times this year where UNLV and the Raiders are scheduled to play home games uh, during the same weekend. Two of them have now been moved up to Thursdays. The only other one, UNLV is scheduled to play Hawaii uh, on a Saturday. That game kicks off at 1 p.m. right now. 
The Raiders play at home against Kansas City, and that is Sunday night football, at least for now. I think that's in the time frame where they could flex it out if it's not a, a meaningful game. But more than likely, Chiefs in Allegiant Stadium will still get stuck on Sunday night football. So there would be more than that 12-hour window for them to move it. I guess the question is, like, scheduling-wise, I know it's complicated. They got There's a lot of people, a lot of parties involved, but shouldn't – like the Mountain West slash NFL slash UNLV and the Raiders all be like, hey, uh, we kind of know when home games are going to be. Let's not schedule UNLV for that same time period three times in the same season. Yeah, I mean, you you might think that. Um, but this also might come down to how do you get UNLV, the TV games, while also getting you know the teams that you want in better slots, right? So... You know, there are a lot of considerations, like you just said. The thing you have to remember about Allegiant Stadium more than anything else is that this stadium is the Raiders stadium. They have priority over everything. Um, they essentially are required by the legislature to let UNLV use the stadium under terms that they've negotiated. So it makes perfect sense to me that if you have a one o'clock kickoff on a Saturday and then a Sunday night football game, that that would be the one that UNLV wouldn't have to move. At least for now, until we find out that game's being played on a Tuesday instead. Um, one other UNLV football story I wanted to get to. Their long snapper, Rex Goosen, has been named to the Patrick Manley Award watch list because there is now an award that goes out to the best long snapper in the country. This will be the third year of existence for this award. There's a video out there of Rex Goosen snapping while on the back of like a, a truck that's driving a, or a cart, I should say, that's driving across their practice facility and he hits a target. But my main question is, how does anyone vote on who the best long snapper in the country is? What are the qualifications you have to have to determine who is the best long snapper in the country? The qualifications are solely hype videos posted on TikTok. <laughs> I think that is the only thing that we should be voting on, right? I think the video you just mentioned is the sort of qualification that would actually get me to believe you are the best long snapper in the country, even though you're recreating a setting that would literally never happen. Like there's no way in which you are moving or the target is moving. Everything is stationary. Your job is to look down, see football, <laughs> throw football, then not get crushed by the guy coming in front of you. So I think it should be based on hype videos and nothing else. I, I don't disagree at all because it's it's the is is it the one position in football where you like can't get a stat? I, I guess you can get a stat if you go tackle the guy, but you can't get a stat on your snapping, right? Like what? Like there's not even if it's bad, even if they're bad stats, right? We can have stats on punters. We can have like average distance of a guy's punt, and even hang if that's time. not the yeah, even if you ignore hang time, I don't know if we have hang time for every punter in college football. But even if you get just like, hey, his average punt is this long, like at least it's a number we can do something to gauge it. There's not a there's not a stat for long snap. I guess not a bad snap, but even that's not even technically classified e all the time. E e easy, Tyler. Easy. I know there's not a stat. I know there's not a number. It's okay. You're gonna be all right. I'm uh, not. The one thing when it comes to long snappers, they're basically referees. You only notice them when they're terrible. Right. So here, okay, here's my problem with it. The players that have won this award went to Alabama and Notre Dame. You're telling me in the last two years, the best long snapper in the country have played at two of the highest name programs in the country. I don't believe it. There's no way this guy for UNLV wins it because he plays at UNLV. 
He's going to get a lot of long snaps. He better he better get on TikTok and not stop. Don't even practice anymore. Just snap it into moving targets.